And we're live. Hello. Welcome to Debut Spotlight. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the new novel, Atomic Anna. And today my guest is the one and only Felicia Berliner. Very excited to have her on today to talk about Schmutz. This is her debut novel. Yes, you are seeing that cover correctly. I have to admit that I grabbed this book when I saw the cover, before I even knew what it was about. A homodashin on the cover at the heart of the three lines, right? Yeah. Genius, genius. Felicia, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you in the middle of launching your own book, Atomic Anna, for inviting me and having this show. It's really great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Great. So uh, before we get started, I'm just going to introduce you to my listeners and read your bio quickly so they know who you are. Felicia Berliner lives in New York City. Schmutz is her first novel. She has an MFA from Columbia, where she was awarded a teaching fellowship and the Henfield Prize and a BA from Yale. She grew up in Los Angeles and attended Yeshiva High School. Felicia coaches writers, artists, entrepreneurs, educators, and other change makers. I love that because there's a lot of change to talk about in schmutz. <laughs> so Felicia, to get us started, can you please tell me what is this book about? Sure. Um, well, I love that you're holding up the cover. A lot of people have said that the cover is both very Jewish and very provocative. I mean, and it is. Yes, it it's is. It's a homentation that is, a, you know, a woman's most private parts. Exactly, exactly. So Schmutz is about uh, a young ultra-Orthodox woman, Razel, grew up in Brooklyn, and she has a computer that she got because she is um, studying accounting. And she stumbles upon porn, also known as schmutz, online. <laughs> and that creates a real dilemma for her. She loves her family. She feels deeply connected to God. She's a deeply spiritual young woman, a deeply religious young woman. And so this dilemma for her is, you know, how does she um, manage her curiosity about porn, learning about sexuality, and in the context of her love of her family and her faith. Yes. So um, Razel is taken in by porn. She's the only one who has the computer, right, in her house. And uh, she even shares a room with her little sister and she's watching it every night and her sister doesn't even know. This is truly hidden, right? She's like under the blankets. Um, and yes, porn is sort of the big word that's used to describe this book. But really, I thought it was about realizing, uh, you know, her coming of age in terms of her sexuality and realizing that she was a woman who was sexual with desires, with needs. Um, and she was, you know, sort of learning about that through porn. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Am I right? Is, you know, is that how yeah. you thought about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her curiosity is very normal and she has no other source of information. So she is discovering uh, anatomy and language and sexuality all online. So you're exactly right about that. Right. So um, one of the very first things that struck me is there is a lot of, um, I'm going to say, identification of words in this book right from the beginning. Right. So you have Razel's first language is Yiddish. Then she learns Hebrew and then she learns English. 
sort of probably limited Hebrew, right? <laughs> in terms of the language of the, the Bible or, you know, God as she sees it, but, um, right, and then English. And so she, you spend a lot of time translating words and saying, this is what it would be in Yiddish. This is what it is in English. And Razel herself is spending a lot of time on this language, on translating, on words. Can you talk about why that's so important and why you spend so much time on that? Sure. Um, and don't forget, Razel also comes up with her own language, right? She right. feels sort of dissatisfied with the languages that are out there. She finds the language of pornography to be very harsh and off-putting and alien, but she's also interested in what it is teaching her. And she actually works backwards through the internet to find secular Yiddish um, terms in Yiddish that she never heard when she was growing up. So yes, all of that's in there. Um, there's a term translanguaging, which I think is really beautiful. And that's the mashup of different languages and Raislish, where she comes up with her own terms that are also like a mashup of English and Yiddish. Um, that's really, uh, it was a lot of fun to write. I can tell you that as a writer who's obsessed with words to have a character who's also obsessed with words and language is a real treat. And I think that her translanguaging is a way to express that she has multiple identities. And what that's doing is giving her a way to merge and express her multiple identities. And that's why it's so important in the book. So how did you do it? I'm sitting there reading, right? And I'm like, how did Felicia come up with these words? Like, were you Googling them? What was your source? Well, you know, this is a work of fiction. It's a work of the imagination. I think that you know, as a writer, I certainly feel deeply connected to my protagonist and imagined what she would be doing and what she would be going through. I think that's how many writers, um, end up with the stories and the characters, voice-driven characters that you find in great fiction. But I mean, literally, when you were looking for words for body parts, for sex, for right these feelings, <laughs> and you're translating them, like, did you have a sex dictionary in Yiddish? Or like, how, like, how does that work? Because I, you know, I'm thinking about all the tools that I have when I'm writing, just looking for a rhyme or right or or a synonym, right? So what kind of resources did you well use? i i didn't really i didn't want to have things that razel wouldn't i mean she has the internet so right. everything that is there you could find on the internet uh, or in your own or not in your own in razel's own imagination right. Right? right so those are the tools the internet and the imagination I love it. So um, one of the things that really interests me is this as uh, the subject of how do we teach sexuality in particular to women, to girls who are growing up? And when we have such easy access to porn, um, right? sometimes you I think maybe some kids discover stuff a little bit early um, or on their own. And you really show this in this book. And I felt like there's this sort of a feminist undertone to what how porn affects childhood. Um, could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important message from the book that young people are stumbling across porn and some young people may set out to find it, but others 
like Razel, who wasn't aware that it was out there, stumbled into it. And I think that that's very common. I've, I've heard that something like two thirds of the young people, children who find porn online, find it by accident. So I, I think that um, her situation is not unique at all. And I would go for it. I don't think the feminist part is an undertone. I think it is a feminist book. Uh, I certainly see it that way. And the idea that women's sexual exploration and women's curiosity um, is somehow shameful. I, I hope that this book can open people's eyes and minds and make it something that is not shameful, that it is, you know, discussed and has um, more sort of um, awareness woven into what that process is like. And the idea right now all over this country, there's the idea that young people shouldn't be reading or shouldn't be talking about sexuality. There's such a big push right now to limit conversations about sexual identity and sexual experience. And you can't put a wall up against those things. I don't think that works. And especially for young women, it can be, you know, uh, or people who really, I, I won't say especially for young women. I do consider this feminist, but I think the idea that sexual identity or sexual curiosity is somehow shameful, I think that's harmful for everybody across the spectrum of gender identity. Yeah. So when people are finished this book, what do you want them thinking about in terms of Razel or how they're going to go forward with this? Yeah, well, I, I mean, that idea that young people are being told don't read certain things, don't feel certain things, don't talk about certain things, I think that is really damaging. And my book is about the struggle of a young woman who has to choose between her sexual exploration, her sense of self, and her family and community. So this book is really a protest against that requirement to choose or to fit in. So, you know, the message of this book is be whole, be all the parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and that includes sort of understanding how your body functions as a sexual machine, or I don't know what well, not machine like thing, right? As, as a sexual body. Um, one of the scenes that I really loved um, that, for me, really spelled out how porn can hurt, um, right? People who are early in their awakening, sexual awakening, was when Razel um, has her first meeting with her first potential husband. Um, so she, there's a matchmaker who brings him to the house, and she's sitting there the whole time, right, thinking about this porn that she's watched and how he might be a part of it, what he might look like naked, right? Mm -hmm. And she can't even look at him. She can't even talk to him. Can you talk to me about that scene? Yeah, I think you're right to point out how pervasive the experience of porn becomes for her, certainly over time. It's a kind of progressive thing that gets more severe over the course of the book. And um, it really does influence her way of looking at the world. And the idea that, you know, that there's uncertainty that the ways of people um, interacting might take the path that she sees it taking in porn is very 
um, disorienting for her. And you're right. It makes it hard for her to stay present in the moment because she's got all these other ideas going on in her mind. I think you're reading that really well. Right. Right. And she's thinking like, would this guy ever do that to, with me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is important for a relationship, but also think, you know, things like, can we talk? Can we have a conversation is also important. You know, and she can't even get there because she's so stuck on those images. Well, I, I think that over the course of the book, there is a more hopeful idea for her um, that, you know, her her strong sense of herself um, comes through and what she wants, how she wants to connect to a soulmate, right, um, does come through over the course of the book. It's yes. challenged by the experience of porn, um, but I think that in the end, she really has her sense of identity that's strong enough that she wants to be able to connect and have those conversations as well as the sexual exploration. Yeah, but it does take a while to get there. Yes. <laughs> Quite a journey. So um, let's talk about God for a minute or two, <laughs> since, um, right, sex and God, they go together in this book. They um, do. This is, right, set in a deeply religious Hasidic community, very insulated with very um, clear rules about what is right and wrong and what you should do and when. Um, why did you set this this book in that you know, in that community. And can you talk about the role of God for Razel? Sure. Um, you know, that that's such an important aspect of the book. I'm really glad you're asking about that. Um, I think the, the setting for this book, right, a, a young ultra-Orthodox woman, um, it really was important to me to have a protagonist who had really been sheltered from the internet so that the full force and shock and difficulty of online porn could be represented, right? It's because she has been so sheltered that that really comes through in the book. And the stakes for her are so high, right? In her community, internet is forbidden, sexual information is hidden, so she has to keep her exploration a secret. So I, I think that's really fundamental for the book. And yes, she is deeply connected to God. She has a, a intimate one-on-one -on -one kind of connection with God. She's thinking about Durba Shefer, the creator, and that is in line with the way that she's raised to see signs of divine will and to look for those signs of divine will and just be... Um, in you know a dialogue with god yeah so um sort of another part of that so she has god she has porn and then she has accounting she's a college student <laughs> <laughs> i love this triumvirate here um so you know this is her i guess going to be her career she's very good at numbers she's very good at figuring this out and she has this Rebitson sort of mentor, we're not, I don't want to give any spoilers, right? Someone who's sort of pulling her along, you know, teaching her how to run these books. Can you talk about how accounting fits into all of this and why accounting? Right. Um, I think there is such a heavy emphasis on words and language here. And yet uh, those things are 
almost um, mysterious for Razel. Like she really is more at home in the space of numbers and has a kind of uh, gift for mathematics. So this seems to make sense and it's a way to earn money. So that's important for her and her family. She wants to save money for her wedding. She's supporting family members who are learning Taurus. So she's she's contributing to the household finances. And, you know, the idea is not in, in her family that that would interfere with her getting married, right? So it's kind of along the way um, to, you know, what is considered to be the expectation for her life. Yeah. But I always think, too, accounting, they're clear answers, right? You add things up, they're clear lines. And her sexuality, God, religion, like nothing's clear. Right? Yes. I feel like it was a good balance that she was an accountant because she had answers there. Yes, absolutely. I, I That's really a, a great um, insight into Razel right there, that <laughs> there is so much clarity in the numbers and she can pin them down in a way that she can't pin down um, the answers and her path forward in language and in her experience of, of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm dying to talk to you about the cover, but uh, before we get there, I just want to ask and recognize for those of you who are watching this live, you'll see that Felicia has her face covered. We can't actually see her. Um, Felicia is not her real name. Um, I, you know, sadly, my understanding is there are lots of trolls who make it very hard to write a book like this as a woman. But Felicia, I have to ask you, can you talk to me about your decision not to use your real name and to keep your face hidden? Yeah, sure. I think that just like you said, um, that there are some barriers for women who want to write in an open way uh, with sexual content. And I think it's important to um, keep some space for the rest of my life. So that's why I'm like this. And I really, really appreciate you and others, and certainly in the literary community, and I hope in the wider community, who understand that space um, for a private life and, um, you know, will respect that boundary. Yeah. I mean, it does. Part of me is a little angry that, you know, if you were a man, would you have to do this? Um, you know, I just have to say that question popped up in my head as we were yeah. talking. Yeah. I, I hear that. Um, I don't think it's the same. I think you and I both know it's not the same. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's really more the question is should be less about my choice and more about what's going on in our society that women are in this position. Yeah. So, yeah. So another thing that I want to ask you about is um, so I've read some fantastic reviews. People are loving your book. Right. For good reason. Um, but then I have also heard a couple of people saying, oh, maybe she wasn't so fair of her treatment of the ultra orthodox community. Maybe she could have been kinder in the portrayal there. Um, and I want to just give you a chance to respond to that. What do you think about that criticism? Yeah. Um... It's funny because I've also heard people say that they really felt the love for the Hasidic community and the love for, for ritual, for Jewish text, for Jewish life. I hope that that comes through. And many readers have told me that that does come through, that this is actually a loving representation of Jewish life. 
So I hope that comes through. And, um, you know, there, there are dilemmas for her. I think that, uh, as we've talked about, the idea that you can wall out information or that um, people who get that information then have to feel a sense of shame, that is certainly oppressive for Razel. Um, and, you know, I don't consider that um, uh, in conflict with the idea that there is still so much love in this book for Jewish life, for Jewish ritual, for the strength of the ultra-Orthodox experience that Razel has. Yeah. All right. So I'm just dying to ask you about this cover. I want to know how many drafts it took. <laughs> like, how did the art department come up with that? It's genius. Well, um, I did reach out to Lewan Kwan, who's the designer. I think that she just did a tremendous, tremendous job. She told me that she was doing research into Hasidic clothing and customs. And when she found the Hamantaschen, you know, she was super excited. Um, you know, you you mentioned um, some some reviews. Um, there was one in on a website called The Millions. Ed Simon mentions the erotic congruencies of the Hamantaschen. Um, so <laughs> that's a phrase I never thought I would hear. Ever. Yes, right. <laughs> um, but the cover, I love the cover because it really captures the way that Razel's sexual identity and her Jewish identity are completely intertwined. And that to me is the heart of the book and that's on the cover. So that's great. And certainly if it makes people want to see what's between the covers, that's great too. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that it's a, a powerful cover. The other thing, and this is maybe a little bit more um, esoteric, but those white lines also remind me of a book, right? You could imagine that the, those are the lines of a book um, uh -huh. with a hamantaschen right at the center. <laughs> so yeah. it's really um, a, a, a great job. I'm so grateful to the team at Atria and Simon and Schuster for supporting this book and um, you know, for Lewan Kwan's great design. It's really um, you know, for a debut writer to to have such a fantastic eye-catching cover is a real, real treat. It's amazing. So, yeah. um, you know, I think you've touched a little bit on how this, there's some parts of this that are very personal to you, right? And your love of the this community and everything. But I'm curious, like, what was the hardest part about writing something that is close in this way? Like, was it I have no idea. What was the hardest part of writing this book? Because I, I can't imagine. Um, the hardest part was what is going to happen to Razel? How is she going to resolve this? I was so clear for a really long time about her dilemma. Mm -hmm. And people had opinions, of course, <laughs> right? Some of my early What is writers. her dilemma? Can you Can you share that with us without spoilers? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking about it this whole time, right? There's right. her love of her family. She's expected to get married. When the book starts, she's 18. She turns 19. So there's this pressure. The time is run. The clock is running um, right. to get married. So, you know, and she wants that. She wants to get married. Right. Um, and 
on the other hand, she doesn't want to give up her sexual exploration. You know, the idea that um, there is pleasure available for her is deeply appealing. This is, I mean, this is part of why this book is not just an undertone feminist book, a truly feminist book, is that it celebrates Razel's pleasure, her experience of pleasure. So that is a dilemma. If your sexual exploration, your identity, your sense of future pleasure for yourself seems to be in conflict with your role in your family and your community, that is a dilemma. Mm -hmm. So what is Razel going to do? And I am not going to say more than that because <laughs> that would be a spoiler. Yeah. But um, for me, writing this character and this book, that was a really hard part. And early readers had opinions. Well, of course, she has to do this. And other uh -huh. people said, oh, no, she has to do that. So right. um, I'm going to leave it to the readers to go through and see how Hazel resolves her dilemma or whether she can resolve it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was hard, but it was also beautiful because it felt so true to the book. Right. So um, another one of my favorite scenes that I just want to talk about quickly before we wrap up, because the time is flying. I have a million other things to ask you. But I want to talk about this scene where it was very brief, where Razel's in, um, I think she's in the bathroom with her brother, and her brother's offering her a joint. Right? <laughs> like, calm down, take some, right? Take, yep. You know, take a hit, whatever. Um, and then he says to her, you know, he he's supposed to like, give you pleasure too, or something. I'm paraphrasing, but basically mm -hmm. he's saying, right. The sex is not just for him or to make babies. Right. Like this is a new, this is modern, the modern world. And you're supposed to right, also enjoy sex with your husband. And this was a big moment for her. And, uh, and also for me to read that in her journey. Right. I was like, wow, now I really am invested in her brother and this journey, right. That she's being validated for that. Can you talk about that moment? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is one of the representations in the book where I really am trying to dispel some myths. I mean, there's the old hole in the sheet myth about Hasidic sex, which this book also dispels. This is not in any way, there is no orthodoxy that is um, sacred or upheld in this book. This book really defies lots of rules, lots of conventions, spelling, representation, all of it. So, um, and this particular brother, who's Razel's favorite brother, has an open mind because of his own questioning, and Razel has a sense of connection to him. And, you know, there are other family members that are not as open-minded or having the same kinds of questions. But at least with this brother, she can see that maybe there is a place for her and her own questioning. It's also uncomfortable because he hasn't followed the normal path and gotten married, which throws into question because he's older, her ability to get married. Um, so I'm just showing at every turn how the conventions and expectations really can be challenging or oppressive for the character, and yet she is finding ways around them and finding human connection and her faith to give her a new path forward. Yeah, that feminist, you know, the sex is for your pleasure too. 
that, that moment. I loved it. Okay, so here's the question that I ask all of my guests because my listeners love to hear this. What kind of advice do you have for new or aspiring writers? Yeah, um, keep, keep at it. Do not give up. Read a lot. Read things that inspire you, that stoke your imagination. Read things that when you're reading, you actually want to pick up the pen and write. <laughs> and, um, you know, that there is no set path towards publication. I certainly didn't follow a conventional path, even with an MFA. It still wasn't a conventional path. And, you know, whatever it takes to find time to write, you don't have to follow the standard prescription, get up at four in the morning. That certainly wasn't how I did it. Um, it was more nights and weekends for me while, you know, after other responsibilities were taken care of. So I just urge people to read what you love that inspires you to write and don't worry about not fulfilling some kind of like macho myth of how you should become a writer. Yes, I love that. And really quickly, how long did it take you to write Schmutz? Um, my earliest file on the computer was from about 2015. So wow. <laughs> that was like a seed, a seed of, seed right. of an idea. Right. Um, so yeah, I love it. I mean, people see a, a you know a shiny, fancy, finished copy, and they think you just yes. picked that out. But nope, no. that was seven years, seven nope. years in the making at least. So yeah, well, that was it was the I, I would say six because it was the end of 2015. But yeah, six years. Okay. Don't six. don't think that it's just the final product, <laughs> right? Right. It's a lot of years in the making. Felicia, this is fantastic. Thank you. Schmutz is your debut debut novel. Go out and buy it if you're listening right now. And Felicia, may you sell many, many copies. Thank you for joining me. Oh, from your lips to God's ears. Thanks, Rachel. <laughs>